0: In 1939, a new device was introduced that was supposedly going to revolutionize the photography industry. It was introduced at the New York World's Fair in 1939, and it was going to bring in what they called a, a generation of living postcards. And the device was called a Viewmaster. Now uh, Maybe some of you grew up with one of these, like so many kids did all around the world. But did you know that the Viewmaster originally was not intended for children? It was marketed to adults. It was supposed to be a way that you could see or experience somewhere that maybe you could never get on your own. So let's say you were a kid in East Texas and you always wanted to know what it would be like to stand in front of the Taj Mahal. But you were never going to get to India. Well, the Viewmaster said, here just just look in here and it's like this. Or if you lived in England and you'd always heard about the the majesty of the Grand Canyon and wanted to stand and see its great, vast expanse. Well, the Viewmaster says here, just look through here. It's like this. And Jesus had his own way of helping people see things that they could never see on their own. We call them parables. They're word pictures and stories that he used in his ministry. And so for those people who needed a new and grander vision of the kingdom of God, Jesus had his own way of saying, it's like this. We're starting a new series today called It's Like This, and it's looking at parables in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm really excited to be kicking off this series, and, and we're going to be looking at a parable each week uh, over the next five weeks. And I know I'm using that word parable, which admittedly, you don't really hear that in the uh, school hallways or in the office. That's not a word that we use for the most part. So let me start with this. Let me give you kind of a foundational definition of parables as we kick off this series. Parables are ingeniously simple word pictures with profound spiritual lessons, ingeniously simple word pictures with profound spiritual lessons. And I believe that over the course of this series, you're going to see just how simple, how ingeniously accessible and everyday commonplace the examples that Jesus is, Jesus uses to, to teach these truths. And I also believe that God in his grace, I'm praying that he will show all of us profound truth that we need to see from God's word. So as, as we kick off, why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Matthew, chapter 13. And while you're turning there, I want to welcome everybody who is with us and listening, whether you're watching or listening online or maybe later on podcast or if you're live here at our North Richland Hills campus. I'm so glad that you've joined us this weekend Thank you for spending some time with us today. And, and if it's your first time to listen in, or maybe it's your, your first time at church, or first time in a long time, I, I'm just honored that you're with us. Thank you for joining us today. If you're curious about this whole Jesus thing, checking out God and faith, uh, you're going to hear teaching from Jesus today and you're going to hear teaching about Jesus. So uh, I know that, that God's going to do something powerful through that. Now, as we kick off, know that Jesus is speaking to a large crowd His ministry has gotten pretty popular as a teacher and preacher. And so there's a large crowd that's gathered to listen to him. And he's also with his 12 closest followers. We're going to start in verse three of Matthew 13. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus Begins with a parable that it's about a farmer scattering seed on his field. And and as he does this, it, it lands on four different types of soil. So I've got some examples of the types of soil today. The first is what Jesus calls the path. And you may be wondering, like, if it's a good farmer, why is seed ending up on a road? This doesn't make any sense. Well, this would have made immediate sense to Jesus's listeners because farmers in Jesus's day did not mark their fields with fences. They actually used paths. That's what they would do. They, they, they would carve out these paths and, and the family and the workers and travelers would walk around these. And so they were well worn. And not only that, they, the tops of these had been baked by the hot sun. And I've got an example here. I don't know how well you can see this, but it's extremely dry on top. And even though there might be a little bit of moisture down below, the plant is never going to get there because it's so baked and hard and well-worn on top. And so because the seed has nowhere to go, the birds come and they eat it up. the second type of soil is what Jesus calls the rocky soil. And I always used to picture this as like like soil and gravel in a blender. You know, you can see it all right on top. But. But what Jesus is actually talking about is a thin layer of topsoil with a bedrock underneath. Because if you're an amateur farmer and, and you were sowing uh, seeds in the field, you might be tricked by the topsoil. It's 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 able to help a plant get started really quickly and it will and flourish and it'll look like it's going to be the best part of the crop. But a veteran farmer would look at that and know, oh, no, no, no. There's there's no moisture. There's no there's nowhere for roots to grow. And that's not going to last It's going to wither and die. Now, the third type of soil is weeds and thorns. And unlike these other two, um, unwanted vegetation doesn't need cross-cultural translation, does it? We understand. In fact, I happen to pick this lovely bouquet from my own yard. (laughs) Yeah, my wife will tell you, I am no gardener, but I'm a green thumb when it comes to weeds. Uh, They just flourish under my lack of care for yard work. So... They, 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 it makes me think of my mom who she she had a patch of uh, of the yard that she really wanted to look beautiful when I was growing up. And she would bring me and my brothers out and make us try and weed out this little section. We would try and spray it. And no matter how many times we did this or how well we thought we did it, once we had planted the flowers, they would inevitably inevitably get choked out by the weeds that would grow back. And that's the same thing that happens in this parable. It keeps the, 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 the plants growing from being fruitful. And lastly, there's. The good soil, which it's, it's moist, it's ready to receive uh, the seed, help the plant to grow and bear fruit and be useful in the harvest. So there you go. Pretty simple. You got the sower, seed cast on four different kinds of soil. So, guess we're done here. Quick sermons on the parables. Yeah, it's okay. Jesus' disciples didn't understand either. And uh, and in fact, we're about to read another section uh, in, in Matthew 13 where they pull him aside and no longer speaking in front of a big crowd. They ask him some questions. And as as I read this next set of verses, the first time I read it, it kind of confused me, kind of frustrated me. I wasn't sure what was going on. So uh, just as as I read these, if you get confused, know that we'll unpack it on the back end. Just stick with me. In verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not underst- they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see. And your ears because they hear for truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And Jesus is asked a very important question by his disciples. I mean, we're kicking off a study on the parables and the, the disciples want to know right up front. Oh, why do you teach in parables? And Jesus points out something that's kind of a paradox about the parables. You see. He says that that basically the secrets of the kingdom of God, he draws a line in the sand and says, it's not for the crowd, but it's for you. This is a paradox. Some people are going to hear, but they're not actually going to understand. But others are going to see and perceive what's going on here, Jesus. Here's the paradox that I, as I was, I would put it. Jesus's parables both revealed and concealed kingdom truth. That based on your perspective, based on your relationship with Jesus, these are either revealing things about the kingdom of God or it's just a weird story about soil and it's concealing truths that lie within. This is kind of, it's bizarre, really. And the more I wrestled with this, I thought, man, what makes the disciples so special? Like, why do they get in on the secrets? What have they done to earn this? And the more I prayed about it and wrestled with this text, the more I realized it's not about the disciples. They're not—they're—they're they're not inherently special. They're just close to Jesus. Jesus is the one who's revealing this. So, so let me let me put it this way: the parables are like slides in a ViewMaster. You ever looked at a ViewMaster in the dark? It's a joke. You can't see anything. I mean, sure, the slide is there, but it needs an external source of light to bring forth any anything that you could actually see. Parables are the same way. Somebody who's far from Jesus or not relying on God to bring insight and to shed light on these parables, they're not going to understand. They will see, but they'll perceive nothing. They'll hear, but they won't understand. Meanwhile, those of us who who choose, you know what, Jesus, I need you to shed light on what I'm hearing and seeing in Scripture. That's when you can see and perceive. And that's why Jesus says to the disciples, blessed are your eyes, Because they get to see things that other people wish they could see. Blessed are your ears because they're hearing and understanding things that, that other people have longed to hear, but they never got to hear it, these prophets who talked about me. And that's why he quotes one of these prophets and saying, it's fulfilled. And so over these next five weeks, we desperately need Jesus to be the light that shines into these parables and brings any kind of truth forward. If if you've come here and you think, oh, well, well, clearly like this church, they've brought they've got communicators here. And whether it's me or whether it's Rick or whether it's someone else, none of us has a light to shine on scripture that is valuable in and of itself. We need Jesus to be that light. And Jesus proves this even further because he goes on to explain the parable. He talks about all of the the four kinds of soils and and the sower and the seed. And listen in to this explanation. I'm going to read his whole explanation. Then we'll take each part in turn. Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. So Jesus gives us the key. He he gives us the grid through which we can understand this parable. And first off, he he says that the seed is the message of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. What, What does that mean? To be brief, I would say that this means it is the announcement that God in the flesh. That's Jesus is bringing the authority and rule and reign of God to bear on everyone everywhere. And that not only does he have authority, but he offers hope and an invitation into this kingdom. That's the message of the kingdom. And and not only that, the sower would be someone then who is sharing this word. So whether that's God himself or Jesus coming to earth or Jesus working through his followers who would then spread this message through the rest of scripture. There you go. You got the sower, you got the seed, and now we have these four kinds of soil. Let's look at the first. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So beginning, Jesus describes a person who doesn't understand this message. And, and since he has located, you hear what he said? It snatches away what was sown in their heart. So we're going to talk about all four of these soils in the context of the human heart. Because that's where Jesus locates it. What's happening here? And first off, I would say that the path would represent someone with a hard heart. The perspective of someone with a hard heart could be summed up like this. I want what I want, when I want, how I want it, and I don't want anyone telling me differently. A hard heart has the perspective that I am the master of my destiny. I am the most important person. I am the highest authority. And so a hard heart right off the bat has real problems understanding a message about Jesus being king of a kingdom. Whoa, whoa, whoa! you're saying I'm subject to someone else. A hard heart does not process that a hard heart can't fathom the idea of repenting for sin or asking forgiveness from God. In fact, a hard heart, they do not say the words I'm sorry unless they're forced to. But Jesus isn't forcing. And so because a hard heart rejects the message out of hand, that's when Satan seizes the opportunity to snatch away that word. Notice that timeline. It's not that Satan prevents them from being saved. It's that first a hard heart says no to God and Satan seizes that opportunity. Every time in the kingdom, every time in kingdom realities that someone says no to God, that's an open door for Satan. And so there there are no hard hearts welcomed into the kingdom of God. A heart must be softened. Jesus moves on from the hard heart and he talks about the rocky soil The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This reminds me of some of my friends in college who would get super obsessed with whatever the latest workout fad was. Whether it was P90X or Insanity or Body Beast or pushups till you puke, like whatever it was, they were just big into it. And you knew when it was when they had just started it, because after the first workout, they would make their rounds in the dorm and they would lean on the doorway. And they'd be like, yeah, man, it was awesome. I threw up my breakfast and uh, it was killer. I'm going to get so ripped. Just wait. Just wait. I'm going to be so jacked. And then they'd leave and the rest of us would make fun of them. Because we knew we knew what was going to happen. Give it a couple days. Give it like two weeks max. And they were going to bail on the program. But they were insufferable while they were part of it. They couldn't stop talking. They were like those CrossFit people that don't stop talking about CrossFit. They were just like obsessed every workout of the day. They want to let you know what's going on. And then they fall away. Jesus is talking about the spiritual version of this reality. That there are people who hear the message of the gospel and they receive it with joy. They're sincere. They're really excited about this, this news and the hope and the forgiveness and the grace and the acceptance that comes along with being saved by Jesus. But there is a challenge because the message and the invitation of the kingdom also comes with commands from Jesus and commands like deny yourself and pick up your cross. And that can be very difficult for who I would call, someone I would call that has a a shallow heart. See, a a shallow heart loves the initial concepts that come along with following Jesus and being invited into the kingdom. They love all the good stuff, but there's fine print that a shallow heart often neglects to see. And so when they're suddenly having to deny themselves and make very difficult choices that cause tension, this is hard for a shallow heart. Because Jesus talks about trouble and persecution because of the word that brings problems for a shallow heart and makes them shrink away from faith. A shallow heart can't take trouble, can't take tension. If they're a new believer and they're starting to make changes in their life out of obedience to God and then the people at their work think, what are you better than us now because you won't come out to the bar? Like the, the, the people around them think, what do you, all of a sudden you're just like some Jesus freak, like, like you're just such a better person than me. And a shallow heart can't take being misunderstood for making obedient right choices. A shallow heart can't handle the tension of being inside of a family where part of the family has no respect for their faith. Doesn't doesn't appreciate or understand and thinks everything you do that's related to God is a waste of time. And a shallow heart, they can't take that tension. And a shallow heart certainly can't take persecution. There are people around the world, in countries and villages and cities, who face persecution because of the gospel that they believe in, because they claim Jesus as Lord. And I can guarantee you, there are not shallow hearts in those churches. At least not this kind of shallow. Because... Their lives are threatened. Their homes are set on fire. Their worship services are interrupted with drive-by shootings. There's no room for a shallow heart there. But in the land of the free, with all the benefits that come with that, there is the danger that it is a place to cultivate topsoil faith. Because trouble or persecution do not show up In the same way. And in some lives, there's a bubble and they don't show up at all. But in the kingdom, the invitation comes along with picking up a cross and accepting that there will be trouble or persecution because of the word. And the earliest Christians knew that and they flourished in spite of it. Jesus moves on and he talks about the soil, the seed falling among the thorns It refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, I'm going to describe this as a crowded heart. This is just it's a heart, that there's too much going on. Not necessarily on their calendar, but in the things they say they value. There are too many competing priorities in a crowded heart that help choke out faith. And Jesus gives two umbrellas under which all the other types of weeds and thorns grow up. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. So what are the worries of your life? What keeps you up at night? What do you stress out about? What most concerns you? Is it tied to your career? Trying to finally get that raise or that promotion? Or trying to avoid... Getting pulled into the boss's office at five on a Friday? Is it is it tied to your family concerns you have about your kids, about finances? Is is it, is it tied to a relationship that you've been pursuing? What are the things that worry you? And now that you have them up here, whatever they are. Let me ask you this question: How many of them have any bearing on eternity? Like how many of those worries will last beyond your funeral or maybe your kid's funeral or your kid's kid's funeral? So often we get caught up in the things that God's really not as concerned about, not as worried about. But we worry and we stress and we wonder and we water weeds in the garden of our heart. And at a certain point, they help choke out faith. But it's not just the worries of this life. It's also the deceitfulness of wealth. I think it's just brilliant that Jesus puts these side by side because uh, despite the uh, hip hop adage, "more money, more problems, uh, most of us have bought into the kind of the opposite of that, which is we think that money will fix the worry. We have bought into this idea in a big way and we see it even as we grow up. So I remember uh, being in elementary school, and it was 1994, and there were there were two movies that came out that year, amongst all the others, that were my personal favorites. One of them was Richie Rich, it was starring Macaulay Culkin and the Home Alone Kid, and uh, it, he was the richest kid in the world. And the movie was supposed to teach you about the value of friendship, but uh, that's not what Taylor took away from it. I wanted I realized it would be awesome to be the richest kid in the world. It would be awesome to have the big house and all the toys and be able to order around a grown man in a suit who's named a butler like I would just love that. And the other movie was called Blank Check. Now, I looked this up later. It got like a 14 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But to to elementary school Taylor, it was Oscar worthy. Okay, and it was about a little kid who accidentally is handed a blank signed check by a rich criminal. And the kid writes one million dollars and he, he cashes the check and they give him a million dollars and then he goes on a spending spree. There you go. That's the film. Like these messages, they hit us. And maybe maybe it's not a movie for you. Maybe it's not in uh, maybe it's not in TV shows, although I would argue for many of you, that is where some of that happens. And it happens in our music and it happens in some of the books that we read. It happens in in the wealthy people whose lives we get caught up in uh, in those magazines right by where you check out at the store. And despite what scripture says, despite what some of those people say, despite more money, more problems, we sudden we just buy into the idea that if I had more, I'd worry less. That if I just had more money, I'd I'd be less stressed. If I had more money, I would be happier. If I had more money, our family would be healthier. If I had more money, I would just have a better life and And the danger is that Jesus doesn't call these the promises of wealth. He calls them the deceitfulness of wealth. Because at a certain point, whether in the short term or the long term, these will prove to be a lie. Jesus himself said, you can't love both God and money. Because if you try to do that in a crowded heart, it will choke out your faith. And then Jesus moves from the soils that act as kind of warnings and just basic realities to verse 23. The seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. I'll be honest, I'm just not comfortable calling this a good heart. So, if we've got a hard heart and we've got a shallow heart and a crowded heart, let's call this a transformed heart. Because in God's kingdom, everyone welcomed in started probably as something like one of these, and they were transformed by Jesus. To experience real transformation, that's who you need. And and there's hope for you. I don't know if, as, as we've talked, I don't know if there's one of these three that you've associated yourself with more. That maybe you feel like you're hard-hearted, or maybe you feel like you're, you're shallow and selfish. Maybe you feel like you're just overcrowded in your heart. But wherever you're at, know that there's hope in God's kingdom. Let me tell you about Paul. Paul was a guy who was hard-hearted against the gospel. He actively opposed the spreading of the good news about Jesus. And yet God softened Paul's heart and he became a leader in the early church. Paul is a transformed heart and you can be too. Let me tell you about Peter. Peter was a follower of Jesus who was he was topsoil faith material. He was always gung ho, always over promising and under delivering. And and he said, I'll be with you to the end, Jesus. And then he abandoned Jesus. But he was forgiven and brought back into the fold and made a leader in the church who was bold and he faced trouble and persecution all the way to death. Peter is a transformed heart and you can be, too. Maybe maybe you're more like Lydia. She was a merchant who heard the gospel from Paul and, and Lydia undoubtedly as a merchant. I mean, you're nickeling and diming everybody that you meet and everything's about the money and everything's about the business and. And God's. According to the text, God opened her heart to the message. Lydia is a transformed heart, and you can be too. And transformation, it can only happen through Jesus. It can only happen by God's power. I'm not teaching you something that then you can you can actually like try and actively do. The beginning of the kingdom means inviting Jesus to do a work you can't. Because ultimately, Jesus is not just the teller and interpreter of the parables. He is the one about whom the parables teach. And, and he shows us that, that he in the kingdom was able to do everything that we failed to do. The seed on the path, it, it, it's a heart that cannot resist Satan. And yet, Jesus faced the temptation of the devil and he resisted Satan. He is our example, our model, and through the Holy Spirit in us, we can resist the devil's attacks. The the seed with the the thin topsoil, it's not able to survive under trouble and persecution. But Jesus came to earth and he, He faced persecution all the way to a cross. And Then He left an empty tomb. And the promise is for all of us, wherever we are in the kingdom, whatever the state of our heart, we can face the hardest of times knowing that the greatest of rewards is coming and has been won for us by Jesus. Jesus... He was able to do what a crowded heart could never do. He came with a singular focus and he spurned the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Man, you talk about wealth. He lived as a homeless teacher on welfare from some of the women followers. Dude was a total moocher by earthly standards. And and yet, Jesus obediently stayed focused with one thing in view. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and now he sits at the right hand of God to intercede on your behalf. He died a criminal's death so you can receive a royal welcome into the kingdom. Jesus is even better than the best good version of our life that we could live. The good soil, Matthew says, it it goes 30, 60, 100 times more than what was sown in the harvest when it bears fruit. But Jesus, he goes way better than that. He started with 12 followers in his ministry. And today, easily, there are over 2 billion people alive on earth who claim Jesus as Lord. That's not 30 or 60 or 100 fold. That's 166 million times more than what he started with. That's what Jesus is able to do in the kingdom. And all of those people, they're all like us. They all had something hard in their heart that needed to be softened. They all had some shallow selfishness and selfishness and they needed depth. They all were overcrowded with competing priorities and God gave them one thing to to, to head toward. Oh, Jesus offers a life that's so much better. But it starts with this question. If you want transformation, you cannot fix yourself. But you have to ask, what does God want to transform in my heart? The same way that we need Jesus to illuminate these parables, we need Jesus to do a work in our hearts that we can't. And so I'd ask you to wrestle with this question this week. God, what do you want to do in my heart and my life? Because when we understand the message, like the good soil, then we understand that God is perfect and I am imperfect. And we bring our imperfections to him and we repent. Before Jesus started preaching the parables, he preached like this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You want to enter into this kingdom? It is not by what you can do. It is not by your ability. It is by claiming the work of Jesus and saying, here's my heart, God. Fix it. Transform it. Do what only you can do. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for Jesus, for his obedience, for the way that that he offers us a hope and a life we could never achieve on our own. I thank you for your word, for for the parables we're going to look through over the next several weeks. Will you illuminate truths as only you can do? And God, in this moment right now, wherever our hearts are, hard, shallow, crowded, God, wherever they're at, pretending to be good, will you, in your grace and in your mercy, do a work in us? Bring us to repentance. Remind us that you can continue to renew and transform us and do that to your glory in the name of jesus amen i'm going to ask you to stand and if you're on our response team you can take your place at this time we're going to sing a song that just says here's my heart lord and as we sing that i hope that you'll i hope that you'll offer your heart up to god but more than that if you want to talk to somebody about following jesus if you want to talk to someone about being baptized if you want to know more about what it's like to to walk in obedience and, and to live in God's kingdom, a brand new transformed heart, then there's people who'd love to talk and pray with you, wherever you're at. If you feel that leading, don't resist the Spirit. Come while we worship.